you talk with people that are skeptics about the Bible, they're going to say, well, that was just written by men. Well, it was written by men, but it wasn't just written by men. It's that the Holy Spirit of God moved upon them so that they wrote exactly what was needed to be written. So though we have a personality behind this, and though it is Luke, we know that the true author is the Holy Spirit of God. And so we don't get to take it apart and say, well, I'm not going to listen to it because it's Luke, and I like Peter's writings better, or, or I like Matthew's writings better. All of it is the Word of God. All of it is authoritative. And many of our problems would be solved if we just allowed God's Word to be authoritative, meaning that it decides for us what is true and false and right and wrong and what ought to be done and ought not to be done. So much confusion is when we take the clear, simple instructions of God's Word and we try and change them to meet our fancy. When you meet a skeptic, uh, well, let me rephrase that. When you meet a scorner, someone who does not believe in God, they're desperate to find a reason to not believe in God. You ever notice that? They're desperate. I was desperate to find a reason not to believe in God because I didn't want any God to rule over me. And so that's why I said things like, oh, well, the Bible's just written by man and it's been translated so many times we can't know what it says and it's got errors in it and all these things. And none of that was true, but I really wanted it to be. And that was one of the problems when I came to a Bible-preaching church, this church, and I listened to the Word of God preached, I could not find the errors in it that I expected. And I couldn't find the contradictions in it that I expected because it was the Word of God and far beyond my capability to judge. So we have Luke writing to somebody, and this is a former treatise that he's referring to. What's he talking about? He's writing to someone named Theophilus. If you turn back to Acts chapter 1, he says, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus. So there's somebody named Theophilus that he's writing to. What's the former treaties? What's the former writing? What did he already give him? Well, if you look with me back in the Gospel of Luke, don't worry, don't panic. We're not starting over again. Though I'm sure we'd get something different out of it if we did. That's the, one of the amazing things about God's Word is that it never gets old. But in Luke chapter 1 and verse number 1, in Luke chapter 1 and verse number 1, notice the introduction. He says, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. So the Gospel of Luke was written as an account of exactly what happened. Luke apparently had met with the eyewitnesses, with the apostles, with people who were ministering the word, and he said that he had a perfect understanding of all of these things that happened. We're not trusting in Luke's perfect understanding of all things that happened because, again, it's the Holy Spirit of God that we are trusting for it, but Luke was well acquainted with everything that went on and was in a position to write these things, and he wanted Theophilus to know, and he wanted Theophilus to know with certainty. Now, what do we know about Theophilus? Nothing. We don't know much about him. Well, here's what we can figure out. He's called, he's called most excellent Theophilus, right? Most excellent. That's somebody who has some sort of nobility or title or station. You wouldn't just write that about anybody. When, when it, it would be like writing a, a message to uh, Pastor Steve and you're like, oh, most excellent Pastor Steve. You'd say, that's a little weird. Right? Why would you do that? 
Well, you would do that if he was in a position of great authority. And so some people have thrown the idea out here. We, we do know he was a believer because it already says that he's already been instructed in these things, but he needed to know for certain. And Luke was going to lay him out in order for him. So we do know that he was already a believer, Theophilus, and we do know that Luke wanted him to know with surety, and he was probably someone important. Some people have thrown out there that maybe he was Luke's patron and that he supported Luke while Luke did all of this research and writing. We don't know any of that. His name means, anybody know what Theophilus' name means? Yes, Sean. Someone who's the friend of God. Someone who's the friend of God. You were very close. You noticed that. So he is someone that it looks like Luke is discipling, maybe even from afar, because he wants him to have understanding, not just of the things that happened in Jesus' life and ministry, but he wanted him to know the continuation of all of that. And he was very particular that you need to be certain about these things. You need to know what they are, because there was a lot of pushback in this day and age. There was pushback from the non-believing Jewish rulers. There was pushback from the Romans, as they did not like the, the chaos that Christianity was causing. In fact, they booted all of the Jews, believing and otherwise, out of Rome at one point because of all the trouble that they were causing. So you have Luke writing so that this person might know. He wanted him to be certain about Jesus. I love when people are certain about Jesus. I love when they get their questions answered. There's a weird thing that goes on in churches today, Bible-believing churches especially, where people are afraid to ask questions. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. I would ask you to raise your hand, but if you're afraid to ask a question, you're probably afraid to raise your hand. It's not going to do me any good, right? But some people will not come and ask a question. We have some very knowledgeable people in this church about God's Word. But even though we have very knowledgeable people, there are still questions that sort of bother us from time to time, aren't there? I, I don't know if you've ever had those, but I've had those. I, I'm a pastor. I've had those. You just sit there and you start thinking for a second, is all of this really true? I mean, are all these other world religions wrong? Are all of these people really in danger of hellfire? Are all of these... I mean, we're going around telling everybody that Jesus is the only way, and you start thinking, oh, I wonder, I wonder. And then you need to speak the truth to yourself again and go back to the things that you know are true. And you say, I hear what all of these voices are saying, but I also know what the Word of God says, and I know what Jesus Christ has done in my life. But there are people who don't get to that place where they reel it back in, and they have questions that derail them. Uh, they have questions that derail them. Sometimes they hear it from their friends. Sometimes they hear it online through social media. Sometimes they hear it in a college classroom or in a boardroom or in their boss's office at work. They hear all sorts of things, and they never got the questions answered. I know somebody, and it's, it's grievous to think about, but I know somebody who um, didn't get their questions answered as a teenager, and though they were raised in a Bible-believing family, they didn't get their questions answered as a teenager, and so when, because they were afraid if they asked, they'd be a bad Christian, and so when they went off to college, they got steamrolled. And they thought, well, maybe my beliefs are just a bunch of ignorant fundamentalists that there's no real answer or, or reason behind them. And maybe all of this that I grew up with is, is just wrong. And the answer wasn't that she was wrong. It's that she didn't know the reason behind it. And that she didn't know the reason behind it. So get your questions answered. The book of Acts helps us understand a lot of the rest of the New Testament. 
right? Because if you don't know what's going on in the book of Acts and the history, it's kind of hard to understand what's going on, let's say, in First and Second Corinthians or in Romans. And you, you start looking at Paul's writings and you're like, wait a minute, who, who are the, Thessalonican, the, the church in Thessalonica? Like, who are these people, right? Well, we learn about all of this by studying through this book of Acts. And it's neat how it happens. It goes from Jerusalem, beginning in Jerusalem, and it goes all the way to the uttermost. We're going to see that phrase when we look at at part of the Great Commission that the Lord Jesus left the church, that there'll be witnesses unto him both in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth. And that's really the, the pattern that we see throughout the book of Acts. One of the neat things about the book of Acts is it doesn't have a good conclusive ending. Anybody notice that? If you've ever read through it before, because it continues on the work of the, the continuing work of the Lord Jesus Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit through his disciples continues on even until this day. I love that Luke was seeking for Theophilus to understand. I love that he wanted him to know it says the former treaties back in Acts chapter one that I have made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. I love people that disciple other people. I love people that pour into others. You ever had someone do that for you? I I got discipled by uh, Dan Wolven down in North Columbus Baptist Church. I got saved right as I was leaving um, here in this local area to go down to college in Columbus. And so I didn't get a chance to get discipled here. I got discipled by the pastor down there. And do you know why? Because I needed it and he saw it. I didn't know up from down, but I, I did want to please God, and, and he was willing to, to invite me to study the Bible with him. And that was fantastic. And I got to see his life. I got to see how he interacted with his wife and his children, and all of that was so informative, and it was very helpful. But then there were other men. I remember going to pick up dry cleaning with Charles Keene, or get his vacuum cleaner fixed, which he did multiple times, or or taking his dog to the vet or something like that, he'd be like, Bill, you want to ride with me? I'm like, sure, let's go to the vacuum cleaner repair shop. And while we were there, he's like, Bill, did I ever tell you? And you go into some amazing knowledge. Wisdom would just pour forth, and I'd be like, i got to write this down. This is fantastic. People that do that for others, I love those people. And you may not think that you could be one of those people, but there, is, there are things that you have experienced, victories that God has won in your life, tragedies that you've been through, knowledge of God and how he works that many people know. And even if it's just in an uh, informal setting like that, people need to hear it. The second verse says, Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. It's talking about, I wrote to you all of the things that Jesus said and did up until his ascension, up until he was taken away and he had given the apostles something to do. He'd given the apostles something to do. That wasn't the end of the story. And so when some people say, we know about Jesus, do you know about his continuing work in the person of the Holy Spirit in the lives of his disciples? And it says that those apostles which is a very interesting word. Apostle isn't just religious holy guy that's kind of important. The word apostle is referring to the job that he gave them. These are Jesus' sent ones, the ones that he was going to send forth. Luke is referring to some of the stuff that he already wrote. Look in Luke 24 and verse 51. In Luke 24 and verse 51. 
In Luke 24, in verse number 51, <clears throat> And it came to pass, while well, he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. This is that moment when he was taken up and taken away. Look in verse 49. Well, before we do that, I want to remind you that, that he told them that the apostles were given commandments by the Holy Spirit, that the apostles gave them, they were given commandments. And here we have these commandments. The first thing they were told to do in verse 49 said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. They were going to have a great work, but before they could do that great work, they needed great power. More than great power, they needed a great presence. They needed the Spirit of God who would come and to indwell them and to enable them. And in verse 47, it says, And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. This is the reason why they didn't just disappear, why they didn't just ascend up with Jesus, because there were other people that needed to hear. Repentance and the remission of sins need to be preached among all nations, all people. Now that seems, in a mission-minded church, not that big of a deal, but it was a very big deal. Because the Jewish folks were very centered on the Jewish people believing in the Jewish Messiah, and you could easily understand why. And it did come to the Jews first, but it's also for the Greeks, for the whole world, for the Gentiles which was not what people really wanted to hear. A lot of people had issues with that. In fact, when Gentiles started getting saved, they had to have a, a, a council about it. They had to get together and have a meeting because they're like, we don't even know what to do with these people. Do we have to make them become Jews first and then they can become Christians? Like, how are we supposed to do this? And they didn't know, do they have to keep the law and not keep the law? It caused all sorts of trouble, but this was exactly what Jesus wanted to have happen. He said that, Repentance and remission of sins in his name needs to be preached everywhere, and they were going to need the Spirit of God, and so though they were told to go, they were told to wait a little bit beforehand. These apostles, look in, in John 20, would you please? In John 20, we said that this word has to do with sent ones, that they weren't just people who heard, they were disciples, they were followers, the twelve disciples and then they became the 12 apostles and now they are being sent out in john chapter 20 in verse number 20 and when he had so said he showed unto them his hands and his side then were the disciples glad when they saw the lord then said jesus unto them again peace be unto you as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Jesus was the first sent one. He was sent by the Father to reveal the Father to us, to live that sinless life, to be that perfect sacrifice for us, and to prove by the resurrection that he had power over death, hell, and the grave. And he fulfilled what the Father asked him to do. And he said, just as the Father sends me, I'm sending you. Now, did the Father ever abandon Jesus before the cross? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And in the same way Jesus says, I'm not going to abandon you. I'll be with you always, even unto the end of the world, he said. Amen. And so this same kind of sending is now what they have been sent forth and what they have been commanded to do. Back in verse number two of the book of Acts, it mentions that Jesus called them. That Jesus chose them. 
It says the apostles whom he had chosen back in Acts chapter 2. Did you see that? They had been chosen, they had been called for a great work that God has asked them to do. Not everybody was chosen to be an apostle. In fact, if you want to think about the term apostle, they said, and we'll look through that here, that if you want to be an apostle, you can't just have anybody be an apostle, right? We'll see that here in our coming lessons. But what we do find in these, the lives of these men is that God had a special calling on them. Did you know that God has a calling on each one of us? You have a call of God on your life. You say, is everyone supposed to be an apostle then? No, I don't think any of us were alive with the earthly Lord Jesus Christ. We didn't get to see him like Matthias and the others did. But we do have a call to be with him. Jesus first, when he was, before he sent the disciples out on their first beginner missionary journeys, their little ones into the villages where he himself would go, he called them first to be with him and then he gave them power and sent them out. We're all called to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all called to walk in his ways. We're called to keep his commandments because we love him. We're called to tell the good news. That's not something that was just for the apostles. That was given to the entire church, and you and I are a part of that. So we all have a call on us, but some people do have a specific calling on their life in a vocational ministry type way. And I believe that that is something that dad and mom can't call someone into ministry. The pastor can't call someone into ministry. Your godly, dear old aunt can't call you into ministry or somebody else. It has to be something that God does that's special in a person's life. I don't know if you're familiar with Charles Spurgeon, but Charles Spurgeon had a, um, a very informal type college where he would train students. And he wasn't big in college himself. He never got accepted into anything like that. Um, apparently he was trying to go to seminary at one point and he was sitting in one room and the person that was supposed to interview him was sitting in another room and they didn't know it and they missed each other and that was his one opportunity to go and he never went. But God gave him great wisdom. He was a man of the word and he studied and he read what he got his hands on. All that aside, he said, if you, if you can be anything other than a preacher, you ought to be. He said, if you can be anything else, if you can be happy being a grocer, he said, go be a grocer. Studying the law, go study the law. He said, but if you can't, if there's something that burns inside of you, there's a calling on you that would make everything else less than, then you ought to do it. Not that being a grocer or studying the law or uh, whatever other examples he gave at that time were bad things, but one should not undertake vocational ministry unless they know that the Lord has called them to it because there are times, as we see in the life of the Apostle Paul, when they went through some hard stuff, and you have to know that the Lord's in it. We'll talk more about the call of God later. But I think it's important, and I love people that have considered whether or not God has called them into full-time service. I think we ought to know why we're here and not there. I think we ought to know why we're here and not there. Why aren't we overseas? Why aren't we missionaries in Albania? Right? Why aren't we in these different places? Well, perhaps God has called us and we're exactly where we need to be. But considering what the Lord might have for us. And remember, nobody is too old to be called. Nobody is too old to be called. Uh, my, friend, my friends Bob and Liz Patton were 52 years old when they were called into mission and work. He had had a very long, successful career as a cardiologist. He had set up uh, hospitals in other countries before he was even saved, he set up a mission hospital in Liberia, right? 
pretty neat guy, and you'd think, oh, his story's written. No. Missionary to Suriname. The people didn't have the Word of God in the common language there, and so he was used of God to translate the Bible into Suriname Tongo and get a commentary out there and seven years of Bible teaching on the radio and a comment. It's just amazing. Amazing. And he's still teaching. He's like 150 years old. It's fantastic. I got to get him and his wife up here sometime before they can't travel. Verse number three in the book of Acts. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days. Notice that phrase there, many infallible proofs. This is a very specific phrase. He, he's, he's a specific guy. He's a smart guy. Luke's a smart guy. And what he says is that Jesus had very convincing evidence that he was alive after he died. That's what the passion is. That's his suffering. That's his going to the cross. There were many infallible proofs. Not like one, not two, not three. Many infallible proofs. Convincing arguments, right? Do you ever notice how in cults, they usually have some sort of miraculous thing at the basis of them, but nobody was ever there to see it. An angel came and spoke to me and helped me find these tablet things in the ground, and boom, you've got a cult. Like, well, did anybody see the angel appear? No, I was out by myself. No one saw the angel. Came to me. Nobody did that. Muhammad supposedly had some sort of vision where God spoke to him. Did anybody see that? Nope. Nobody saw anything like that. When Jesus died, it was a public execution, witnessed by all of his enemies and his followers. When he rose from the grave, he was seen and proved to be alive by many infallible proofs. We read just a moment ago that when they, they saw his hands and his side, they were glad when they saw the Lord. He said, look, touch. He had to sit down and eat a meal with some of them so they knew he wasn't a ghost. Right? Think about that. He wanted them to be sure. In fact, over 500 people at the time of the writing of this, most of them still being alive, saw Jesus alive. Look in 1 Corinthians 15, would you? In 1 Corinthians 15. The word of God saying that Jesus rose from the grave is more than enough for me, but you and I will run into people that don't take the word of God as the word of God. And so it's good for us to be able to explain to them, listen, Jesus' disciples didn't just start some story like the enemies of Jesus said, that, oh, they stole his body away and pretended that he rose from the grave. No, he was around for 40 days appearing to people supernaturally and was seen by hundreds of people that at the time of this writing, you could have gone and verified it with those people. Did you really see the risen Christ? Oh, yeah, we saw him. Are you sure it was him? Absolutely was him. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures." And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. I want you to think about how many people would all have to be in on a conspiracy in order to make that happen. 
how many people would all have to have a mass hallucination in order to, to have this happen. No, many infallible proofs were the basis of this learned man's faith. We have the Word of God on it as well. Now, we, we know here that Jesus, when he stuck around for 40 days, back in our verse, that he discussed things of the kingdom of God with the apostles and spoke to them, was seen of them. So this is just the introduction. We're going to keep things brief for tonight, but we're going to get into here shortly about what Jesus was going to call them to do. And it, this is one of the most exciting books of the Bible. One of the most exciting books of the Bible, and we're, we're going to go through all of it. But tonight, let's pause here and talk about some points of application. First of all, be a discipler. Be a discipler. Luke was instructing Theophilus in the faith. Luke knew something. Luke had experienced something. He'd seen something because of his own conversion, of his own searching out of the eyewitnesses, of his own travels and ministry along the Apostle Paul. He had seen some things. He had experienced some things that not many other people could talk about. I mean, how many traveling companions did Paul have? He had some, but it wasn't like there were hundreds of them. So he had seen miracles at the hands of the Apostle Paul done by the power of the Spirit of God. Theophilus was already a believer, but he needed more. He needed to be grounded. I really believe that everybody ought to have that discipling experience in your life. Many people, unfortunately, never have somebody take that interest in them, or they don't really make themselves available for that. What, what ends up happening is that there ends up being holes in your faith and practice. There ends up being holes. There are things that nobody ever sat down and explained to you. And you're like, wait a minute, that's in the Bible? I didn't know I was supposed to do that. I didn't know that that was what that meant. I didn't know I had access to all of this. You mean this is how you live the victorious Christian life? Man, I wish I knew about this years ago. I wish I'd seen somebody learn how to go through suffering in the power of the Spirit. This is fantastic, right? If we don't have that systematic grounding like Luke wanted Theophilus to have, we're going to be missing out on some things. What's nice is that you may be down the road, and I would imagine that many people that would come to a Wednesday evening midweek service in a church like our church, you've been a follower of Jesus for a little while, and you probably know a lot that you could help other people with. But when you disciple someone else, it helps you understand God and God's word even better. I have heard many more sermons than I have preached. I have preached hundreds of sermons, but I have heard many more sermons than I have preached. Perhaps one day as I get older and the Lord tarries and allows me to live, that might flip-flop. But you know what? I don't remember any of those sermons nearly as well as the sermons that I preach. Do you know why? Because I had to study. And not just study to hear it, but study it well enough to give it to someone else. And some of you Sunday school teachers, you could probably say the same thing, that the things you heard in Sunday school were good, but the things that you had to study enough to teach someone else, now you remember that. Now you remember that. And so getting yourself in that position to teach and to bring somebody else along is vital not just for the other person that needs to know, and they do need to know, but it's also vital for us. It's also vital for us. So be a discipler. Second of all, get your questions answered. Get your questions answered. 
Luke wanted Theophilus to have all of his questions answered, and that's why he was so thorough. He talked about all that Jesus began to do and teach. He talked about from the very beginning up until when he was taken up, and then he continues on. Uh, Many people are timid to ask the hard questions, and maybe they're the kind of questions that you don't ask on a Wednesday evening Bible study like this. Maybe it's the kind of thing where you're like, hey, can can we talk aside somewhere? A gentleman with a gentleman, a lady with a lady. There are enough people in this church that have a solid Christian testimony that know God's word that could probably answer your question and not just the pastors, not just, but we are open and available. In fact, that's one of my favorite things to do. That offer is still out there. If you've got questions, let's, let's go have a cup of coffee. And I would love to open God's word and answer them for you. I'm also worried that if you don't get your questions answered and you hit the hard places in life, you'll, you'll become shipwrecked. You'll become a castaway, as the Bible says. Because you don't know the answer to why is there suffering? Why am I experiencing this? Plus, you don't know what to do with suffering when it happens or how to bear that in the spirit of Jesus Christ. Or when somebody attacks whether or not the Bible is the word of God, you don't have it settled in your mind as to why. Because we live in an increasingly atheistic, hostile culture, and you really got to have the answers, young people especially. Young people especially. So come and ask. Come and ask. I would love to spend time doing that. Even if you're not a young person, but you have questions, and if I don't know an answer, I'll make something up that sounds good. No, I will stop, and I, I'll go to, to people that know, or I'll study it for myself. I'll, I'll go ask Marvin, or I'll call up Moses Yoder, I'll ask Pastor Steve, Pastor Jenkins. We got Randy Johnson here. Some of you have been in church much longer. Jim, there's plenty of people here that have answers, and we will find those answers. We have godly women that can, you can ask those questions to that perhaps you wouldn't want to ask a pastor. And I'm good with that. You ask them. That would be wonderful. The unanswered questions, those hard unanswered questions, that's a weak spot that the enemy will hit you in. He really will. He'll come after you if you don't have answers. So get your questions answered. And finally, consider God's calling on your life. Consider God's calling on your life. Jesus called the apostles to not just um, visit his house on Sunday, though they didn't have church buildings like we have, not just to, to do a little bit here and there, but he asked them to give all of their time and everything they have so that they could serve the Lord. And I think that it's important for all of us to realize that we are all called to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, to tell other people about Jesus, and that is a valid calling. You may be called to be a husband. You may be called to be a wife. You may be called to be a father or a mother. You may be in a stage in life where you're called to be an employee in a certain vocation that God has led you into. And all of those callings are just as glorious as the call to ministry. But a lot of times, people do not imagine that they could be called into ministry. But I'll tell you, uh, for me, I didn't get anything earth-shattering as my call. I I didn't have some kind of unusual uh, message written in the stars. There wasn't a lightning bolt that split a tree open. And the word preach was written in the, the burned wood on the inside. I didn't have anything like that. You know what I had? I had a desire, and I couldn't really explain that desire. And at first, I just thought, well, everyone wants to be the pastor, right? You just go to church, everyone wants to be the pastor, right? Just like everyone wants to be the the quarterback in the football team. 
Everyone wants to be the playmaker on the basketball court. Everyone wants to be the pastor. And I started talking with my friends, and they're like, no, that's not how that works. Not everybody wants to do that. And he began to grow the desire in my heart and wither other desires in my life until I got to the place where it was a struggle at times, but I knew that God had set me aside for the preaching of his word. And I do believe that God will call people, even when they're young, and put a desire in their heart. He'll call people when they're not young too. But I know that my wife from a young age felt like she would in some way be in full-time ministry. And she just knew that. She had surrendered to the Lord. So be surrendered to whatever he has and consider it. Consider it. It's good that I struggled with it. It's good if you struggle with it. Even if you come up with the answer that God does not want me in full-time vocational service, it's good to know that so that you know that you're where God wants you to be. So consider God's calling on your life. A couple of questions. A couple of questions before we wrap up. What does it look like to disciple someone in the faith? What does it look like to disciple someone in the faith? I alluded to a few things, but what, what does that look like? What's that? Okay. So, so both of them are growing in the Lord. Yeah. Both, uh, you know, and if discipler is an unfamiliar word, maybe mentor would be the modern equivalent of it, though I like discipler better. Yes. Okay, so it involves meeting regularly, and you, you studied something, right? Maybe a set of lessons, something out of the Bible. All right, what else does it look like? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I learned to pray by praying with other people. I learned to pray by praying with other people. Uh, maybe you've been a part of our Wednesday evening prayer meetings here, and you get to pray with other ladies or other guys, and hearing people pray that are a little more ahead on their journey has helped me. I remember spying on people when they were praying. I didn't know I was there, but I heard them praying, and I just listened in. Because I'm like, is that how you pray? I don't know how to pray, right? Uh, I had a person invite me, a missionary invited me on a, a Friday night to pray with him for a, quote, few hours, like he does every week. I'm like, yeah, I always pray on my Friday nights. But hearing him pray was instructive. So sharing that part of my life, absolutely, that's a part of discipleship. What else? Yes? Tagging along. Tagging along. That's a great way of, of doing it. Yeah. I remember going with Pastor Jenkins, and that was part of that. I remember when we would travel together, and we'd make visits, and I sat down and watched him fill out the checkbook and write the checks for an elderly couple. Um, because they couldn't manage their own finances, and sadly enough, their, their children were not trustworthy enough with their funds to do that, and someone had to take care to make sure their bills were paid. And I thought, wow, pastors do that too? That left an impact on me. What else? Yeah. Um, pulling somebody aside and uh, answering their questions. Yeah. Questions. I mean, answering their questions, asking them questions. Yeah. Part of discipleship is giving somebody permission to ask you questions that you don't want them to ask. It really is. Like, I hereby give you permission to ask me, did you read your Bible today? Have you been praying? How are things between you and your wife? How are things between you and your kids? How has your thought life been? What have you been struggling with? Where is the devil attacking you? Right? 
uh, not a lot of people would want everybody bringing that up to them. But when you get in that discipleship relationship, that accountability part of it is wonderful in the growth that it provides. Lena, and then we'll go over here to Kelly. Yeah, what does it look like to disciple someone? Help them help people in need. Yeah, you can serve the Lord together. You can help the disciplee. The disciplee can help the discipler. Yeah, Kelly, one more. That's huge. Yeah, they model it in different places, and you can see, oh, that's what that looks like. That's what that looks like. Good, good things. What are some of the hard questions that people are afraid to ask that generally end up shaking someone's faith? What are some of the hard questions? I alluded to a few, but yeah, Kiara? Yeah, is this really true, or did somebody make this all up? It's a really important question to know the answer to. If you're going to give your life to something, it better be real. More so, if you're going to give your eternity to something, it better be real. What else are some of the hard questions? I'm going to call on Sean in a minute if nobody volunteers. Yeah. Why won't God answer prayers? Why won't God answer my prayers? Yeah, Chris? Why do bad or painful things happen to Christian people? Yeah, why do bad or painful things happen to Christian people? Yeah, Greg? How do you know How do you know God's leading? It's a good question. Yeah, anyone else have hard questions? I'm, I'm writing this down for future sermons. Yep, Randy. <laughs> How do you know if God's calling you to full-time service? Yeah, that's important. Yes, Kiara? How do I pray? Sometimes people are, are they, they think like you're just, all of a sudden everyone knows how to pray. No, you've got to be trained. Yeah, Becky? Mm, yeah. How do you forgive? How do you extend grace and mercy? How do, you, how do you love somebody that breaks faith and hurts you? Yeah. Those are good. Those are hard questions. People need to ask these. Steve? These are a couple I had today. Um, how do I really walk in the spirit or not in the flesh? How do I know if God wants me to get married again? Hmm. Those are good questions. Yeah, how do I know if I'm really saved? Is it real? Is it real? You have doubts. Well, let's, yes, one more. Why do we need to get baptized? Yeah, that is an important question. What do you think it looks like? What do you imagine, or from your understanding, or things that you've read, or those of you that that were called into full-time Christian service, um, what does it look like to be called? Randy, what does it look like? Tell us, answer everybody's questions.
Yeah. Amen. Amen. Steve, how do you know? You went from the, the corporate world into ministry. Yeah, my, my struggle initially when the Lord began challenging me was the idea that I've got more for you to do than you're doing already. And uh, by that point, I was a deacon, finance committee, choir, uh, Sunday school teacher, youth leader. I mean, I was doing all those sort of things, and, and I'm thinking, well, you know, what more does he want me to do? And so that began to search uh, what, you know, what, what is the Lord really asking of me? And it brought me to the conclusion that um, where I just had at this very altar to come forward and say, Lord, you are my master. You own me. You purchased me with your shed blood. My life is yours. And if you're changing my orders, then my answer is yes. And as I did that, then things began to really open up and the, and the Lord revealed how he was calling out of vocational secular ministry into vocational ministry. Amen. That's helpful. That's helpful. I can tell you that part of the... Yeah, Randy, did you have another thought? He'll confirm it with scripture. I, I prayed for months in Christmas this, uh, before I took that step. Lord, confirm this call in scripture. And he did very clearly one afternoon. I went to Chris, all excited. I was ready to, on the Sunday afternoon, I was ready to turn my two-week notice in on Monday. And she came back, and, and nothing against Chris, it was all the Lord's timing. She said, you know, you're here, but I'm still way back here. I don't know that God has confirmed this yet. Because he hasn't so I just backed off and didn't say anything at all to her until she came to me. That was in October. She came the following summer and said, okay, God has confirmed it. Let's go. Amen. So it was like an eight-month period of time where I just continued to wait until God made it clear to her that that's how he was leading in her life. Amen. That's good. Yeah, if you're, if you're married, then you're one. You and your spouse are one, and he'll, he's going to lead both of you. He's going to lead both of you. I think the act of surrender is very important. That you, you say, Lord, if you do want me, I'll go. I think that is one of the beginning things that happens. That, Lord, if you do want me, I'll go. I think that if we don't get to that place, then it's hard for us to hear the rest. I remember there was a service that I was in. It was a revival service, and they were asking how many people here, if God called you to missionary service, you would go. If God called you, you would go. Well, there was a little girl that got up and went, and her mom went with her, and then there was an, an older, more spiritual couple. And again, the church was still very small. This was down in Columbus. And like, I'm like, well, I'd go if he called me. I mean, what are the chances of that? <laughs> right? So I got up, and I went down there and stood in front, and there was some other object lesson he did with the lighting of a candle and the, the devil trying to blow it out and you know, responding to the call and all that. Little did I know he was going to take me up on that. So, and I, I'm, I'm happy for it. I was excited. I wanted to leave what I was doing and go off to Bible college, and the Lord did not let me until I finished my studies at Ohio State. I wanted to leave right when I was called, but he wouldn't let me leave. He closed every door, and I know why he did it, but at the time I didn't know. And yet all of my friends in the computer program were like getting hired by Texas Instruments and Google when it was started and Microsoft, and they were making like 90 grand, and I'm like, I want to go to Bible college. 
you know, uh, when, when that desire seems to can come from nowhere other than the Spirit of God. That's, that's helpful. Amen. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank you for all that the Lord Jesus did, for all that he taught, and all that he continues to do through his Spirit. Thank you for your Spirit that dwells within us. Father, we make so little of that at times because we forget. But help us to be mindful that you're with us, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, and we have all that we need to live godly in you. We have all that we need to know where to go and to get guidance and to have the wherewithal to will and to do of your good pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. Thank you very much for your good attention tonight. How many of you need a prayer sheet? Yes. You need a prayer sheet? Or are you in another comment? Okay. <laughs> prayer sheet? Slip your hand up. I want to make sure everyone gets one.